Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Brian Litwell. And I'm Derek Cobb. And I'm Drew Perot. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. We're back with part two of the top 10 Wonder Tour All-Stars, where we are ranking our most magnanimous leaders from the first 99 episodes of Wonder Tour. That's right. And we got three individual choices from each of the three hosts and then our number seven and six leaders last time around. So we're going to do our top five. So in the number five position, we have a character from a movie that is often used as an analogy for breaking out of your small world and understanding the system of a bigger world and breaking the rules of the bigger world. There's so many great quotes in this one, and so many of them come from our chosen character here. Number five top magnanimous leader on the Wonder Tour All-Stars is Morpheus from The Matrix. I'm going to call on Derek here because uh, Derek is the real world modern master of creating dojos. So talk to us about the dojo framework. What are we trying to accomplish here? What's what's Morpheus good at? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely something that I mean, I remember the first time. Well, let me say this. The other day, somebody somebody at work was just like, well, you talk an awful lot about Matrix sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're all, you know, it's just it's just funny. Right. But I think it's because of, again, this this script flipping you know aspect. But it's also this idea that if you don't have the constraints that you normally expect to have, what would be ideal for growth? Right. What do we get stuck in? And then how do you just kind of move the plant to another another pot or another environment, whatever that may be, so that they can grow, they can spread their roots out. Sometimes it's only in a certain dimension of growth, right? But I really like how Morpheus did that. He took Neo into that dojo. And when we started to look at that more seriously, we started to realize that like we had been doing that. We had been putting people into low-risk situations so that they could get high growth potential in the future. The growth out of the dojo may not be a whole lot, but what it is is a confidence. Once you get and acquire that initial seed confidence out of the dojo, and I've been watching my middle son do Taekwondo, and he has been in the dojo for a long time now. And I have seen that elevate over time is this, and it's confidence to repetition. So I think dojo does lend itself to this, you know, repetitive atmosphere too, where you continue to see, here's the feedback I'm getting, here's the feedback I'm getting. And, and everybody needs a different dose. And Morpheus knows that. Although Morpheus only had one red pill and one blue pill. He didn't have 10 red pills for some people, right? And 10 blue pills for another person who's probably been red pill before. <laughs> I'm going meta here a little bit, but I think that you have to adjust that dosage of the dojo too. How many different factors do you need, right, in that dojo? How realistic do you need to make it in order to get it to come across? What do you guys you think ramp, about that? Yeah, you ramp it up, right? Like some some training is just about learning to jump. Some training is just about learning the one lesson about, do you think that's air you're breathing, right? And some things are much more immersive and much more like the real world. And he's he's really good at that. He's really good at curating those learning opportunities. And you know, we said like with Obi-Wan, wouldn't it be great to have an Obi-Wan in your corner? The flip to that is how could you be a Morpheus? How could you communicate to somebody that you're mentoring, that, that works under you or that just somebody that you notice that needs a push? 
how can you communicate? I believe in you. I believe in you so strongly and you're not ready. So here's an opportunity to free your mind. Here's an opportunity to do a thing that you aren't good at yet, but I believe you can be. How powerful would that be if you were able to be that for somebody? I think that's what's great about Morpheus is he doesn't have this feeling like he has to be the hero of the story. He knows that he's not the one. And as a result, he lives as a servant. He's like, hey, I'm I am here to help you to develop. And it's not that there's not multiple narratives going on in a movie. There's like one straight line narrative, one journey that's going on, basically, with maybe like some side paths and some side characters that are also going on journeys. You know, that's why TV shows that run 40 minutes an episode are a little bit better because you can get a couple different journeys. But in real life, there's many different journeys that are all intertwined. And in some of them, we are the protagonist. And in other ones, we are not the protagonist. But more often than not, probably not the protagonist. So Morpheus is one of the few people in cinema that teaches us, well, what is it like to not be the protagonist or to not be the, the core role, basically? How do I serve somebody well and help them to break the system? When I'm not going to be able to, you know, I'm, the satisfaction is going to be for them and I'm not going to get the credit for it. He's ambitious for the future, but not for himself. And that's a that's a really it's a cool role to play. It's a cool line to walk. All right. Coming in in the number four position, we are switching gears from the uh, gritty, hard edged science fiction of The Matrix to a Disney movie. Yeah, that's right. We're covering a lot of ground here. The leader we want to talk about in number four is Belle from Beauty and the Beast, of course, the original animated version. And the thing that we love about Belle is that she's got this incredible compassion coupled with an actual strong sense of her self-worth. So when we see her, she gives us our signature, you know, I, I want adventure in the great wide somewhere moment of wanting to leave the small world, of having the curiosity and the ambition to be capable of more than what her environment is offering her. So she's got that at the beginning of the movie. But what we threw through the course of the movie is that she consistently makes compassionate choices about others. And the signature mountaintop moment here, I actually want to offer two of them, and then we'll see what Drew thinks, is the Gaston, I just don't deserve you. When the oaf, you know, proposes marriage to her and she has enough sense of her self-worth, you know, like, this is not, this is not what I need. You know, just because this is perceived as a good idea, this is not for me. She's got that core of who I am. But despite that high self-regard, she's willing to sacrifice herself. And so my my dual mountaintop is also with take me instead. She discovers her father alone in the castle, locked in the dungeon. The beast shows up and tells her that he's you know going to stay there forever. And without missing a beat, despite all of her aspirations, despite all of her sense of who she is, She's like, oh, take me instead. He doesn't deserve this. I'm going to sacrifice myself for him. And so that holding those things in tension in her character and then all of her other actions gets her onto this list for me. What do you think, Drew? Yeah, Belle is a person of really high integrity. All these different traits that we talk about, integrity holds them all together. And Belle exhibits curiosity. She exhibits compassion. She's loving. And it, it all is held together in such a believable way that when we look at her, we see that she is the answer, basically, to the world that she's in. She has, through her life in the small world, in the town, been learning and growing and developing her character so that when the opportunity presents itself, she's able to make those tough decisions, like you said, where she says, take me instead. And, you know, she makes the sacrifice for her father because she has value. She knows who she cares about and she knows that this is bigger than her. And by doing that, she opens up the floodgates to be able to save everyone else as well. And she has a number of those different moments, right? She has the moment where she could leave the castle 
when the beast is injured, but instead she picks him up and cares for him. She could have just looked at these weird subjects inside the castle that are like household objects and said, okay, this is too much. Like, I just need to figure out a way out of here. But she says, I need to help them. And in the end, the way that she does it is by flipping the script. Once again, <laughs> she de- she takes and uses all these different models that we talk about very deftly. And for that reason, she's on the list. Absolutely. All right. And that brings us to our top three. And we have uh, three leaders from three very different movie properties. And this next one is probably, for me, was the most unexpected. I did not think going into talking about Fast and Furious 5 that we were going to emerge with a Jedi Master level magnanimous leader. (laughs) But that's what happened. Yep, we're talking about Dominic Toretto in Fast and Furious 5 who shows us in the course of this movie both an incredible sense of compassion and caring for the people around him and some really strong game theory. So what did you see here? Yeah, as you said back in episode 64, Brian, Dom is a wizard. That was a revelation to me as somebody who's a huge fan, probably a bigger fan than you are of the Fast franchise, probably a bigger fan than a lot of people are, but I do meet a lot of people who love this franchise and who kind of think this way. But it was your saying that that helped me to realize, like, oh, the reason I like this series is because Dom is such an incredible leader, amongst other things, right? There's a lot of fun and action and joy in there. But Dom is such a great example of a leader, and it's so unexpected when you look at him. You're expecting him to be the brute. You're expecting him to be the person who's going to do all the driving and the stunts and stuff like that. But what you actually get is like the most compassionate leader that we see in almost any movie. He looks at his enemy and he says, you know, I have pity on you. Let me help you. He has the moment with The Rock where The Rock is laying on the ground left for dead for the cartel and The Rock's been hunting him down. And he's like, I'm going to go back for him. I'm going to pick him up. And that changes everything. It gives hope to the crew because they're like, oh, my gosh, like if we can turn The Rock, maybe we can turn the tide of this battle that we're in. It's his immense compassion. And then the fact that you get this meathead guy who's an incredible strategist. He's able, like you said, to deploy game theory so well. And then you tie it all together with the idea in the Fast franchise that it's all about family. The most important thing in life will always be the people in this room. Is what Dom says when they have that moment before the final job, when you know they've gotten a lot taken out of them and they lost Vince and they're lo- they're they're wondering if they should even have hope. And Dom, always you know such a strong character, falls back on values, falls back on relationships. Is like, remember, this is what it's about. Like, let's ride together again. Yeah, and he anchors it with the uh, Mi Familia, right? And these aren't they aren't actually all literally related to him. These are people that he's picked up for their unique skills and seen unique value in them. And I mean, it's a ridiculous franchise, but if you think about it as an epic fantasy, it works, right? You know, they have magical abilities and they're battling evil, but yeah, the things that he shows us here, for those that may not have listened to the Fast Five episode or some of our, our recent recaps, the game theory elements are in this heist movie, the team spends the first half of the movie under Dom's direction gathering information. They run little experiments to figure out the to figure out the map, figure out what's going on, and to try to sort of coax their enemy into one vulnerable position where they can do their spectacular flipping the script thing. And so there's a lot of different layers to that, but just this sort of strategic approach to we're at a disadvantage, we're going to sacrifice our energy and the few resources we have to gain information so that we can act more skillfully. That's the game theory half of it. 
And then the back half, of course, is the, yeah, he said, the most important thing in life is the people in this room is the, I'm going to gather the people around me and I'm going to care for them and protect them and be there on the front lines with them, but also trust them to do their jobs. And so that gets him onto this list in the number three position. All right, we are all the way up to our number two leader, and this one is going to be a package deal between a, a pair of characters in perhaps Wonder Tour's all-time favorite movie. That's right, we're talking about Interstellar, and of course we're talking about Cooper and Murph. And I'm going to let you guys take it away because I know that you're both passionate about this movie. Don't leave me, Murph! Don't leave me, Murph! Oh, don't leave me, Murph! <laughs> Oh, thanks, Derek. We needed to have some of those impressions in here. Those have brought a lot of joy to me throughout our Wonder Tours. So Cooper and Murph, and we kind of package them together here because they're really two pieces of the puzzle. Together, they are the hero of the story. Separate, the story is not whole, basically. The story is not completed. We talk about on Wonder Tour this idea of concentric circles. The movie we go back to most often is Interstellar because Interstellar has all of these different story arcs of these different characters. There's one story going on on Earth that is in, you know, happening over a different timeline, basically, with Murph. There's the other story that is happening out in the deepness of space, and that is with Cooper and Amelia and, and such. And these stories are being mapped onto each other in a way where... The development kind of like stacks and interlocks of the characters. And it's so beautiful. You get this amazing picture of what it means to be a curious explorer. Cooper and Murph were the first that showed us what is a curious explorer. Well, for Murph, it was never leaving Earth because that was her role. She knew how to play the role that she was given. And for Cooper, he was the only one to lead that expedition out into space in order to find the solution that was going to save humanity. So he had that curiosity and that courage. And perhaps above all, Cooper, I mean, talk about somebody who understands hope. This guy is all about hope. When everybody else is acting out of scarcity, Cooper is acting out of abundance. And he's trying to flip people's mindsets to humanity's not dead. We're not going to run out of resources. All we have to do is take the next step and the next step and the next step until all the steps are exhausted, to quote Jen Erso, right? That's that's what we're going to do. And it's his hope that inspires you know, Michael Caine's character. It's his hope that inspires Murph, even when she hates him or thinks that she hates him. And she tells us that through the video logs to keep going, to keep searching for a solution, to never give up because Cooper said there was a solution and he believed in her and he believed in the mission. Yeah, he never gives up. And I mean, look at what the traditional leader put up next to him was, right? Dr. Man, the best of us. Is the be really? He's the best of us? A megalomaniac, micromanager from space? It's just, it's just funny. You can see that contrast there. And I think that makes Cooper really stand out in his story, right? That when you put him up next to any other leader in the movie, it's kind of hilarious, actually. Because like, Cooper has flaws. He has like one of his flaws is that he cares so much about his family, <laughs> right? And he lets that influence like what he's doing. But is that a flaw? They look at it as like a weakness, but he looks at it as like a strength. So I think that's interesting about him is that he's he does stick to his values as well. And I think that that really drives him hard. And it's neat to compare him versus other leaders in the in the movie to to see what kind of leader he really is. Those contrasts get drawn throughout the whole story. So. I thought you did a good job of really giving the inventory there on Cooper. And that's really what you said, though, honestly, about the, the contrast. I forgot how we talked about the contrast to Dr. Man. I mean, he's named Dr. Man on purpose, right? 
human adam <laughs> it's like this is this is humanity <laughs> this is what humanity resolves to to try to solve a problem is looking for what's best for ourselves basically even at the cost of the universe and we see the opposite with cooper and that's why we love him so much because he does not make those sort of trades he does not make those sort of sacrifices he's the best of humanity has to offer right he does this not because he wants to, but because he's the only person to do this job. He he goes and makes the sacrifice, right? He he has the moment where they're spinning towards Gargantua, the black hole, and he decides to drop off and drop in so that Amelia can make it to the other planet. And then again, in doing so, obviously, that's a flipping the script moment that, you know, ends up saving humanity as well. But it's like it's his pragmatism that is his leadership superpower, that he can see the bigger picture and that he always keeps that in sight. And even when it, it costs him making personal sacrifices, like leaving his daughter, which is just tears him apart and literally makes her think that she hates him for most of her life, he does what he has to do for the greater purpose. Yep. And and I just want to add for the listeners that during this recording, I have pasted the Dr. Man <laughs> gif. It's like my favorite one. But Dr. Man is just literally looped going, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's cheering you on drew dr man is agreeing yes. with you he he knows his flaws and he is uh he's supporting the argument that we're making here so i just want you to, to know that that uh you've got the agreement of dr man on that one for sure awesome. <laughs> what does dr man say right before he gets he like gets blown out into space Cooper, when he tries... there comes a moment <laughs> there comes a moment yeah well i wanted that that was awesome guys and i just wanted to uh i wanted to tag on to the thing that I love about Murph as a leader is the persistence of hope, right? Is the when literally like the world is trying to kill you. All of the people that you most trusted in the world have let you down. Her father's left and never come back. Michael Caine in his dying moments tells her that he actually never had a solution and never thought there was going to be one and they're doomed, right? Despite all of that, despite all of those burdens, despite all of that darkness, she's like, I'm going to keep working on this. I'm going to keep trying to look at it from different angles. And that's what allows her to succeed. And that's what, you know, if she's not paying attention, right, if she's not open to the possibility of hope, then nothing that Cooper does on the other side of the bookshelf is going to make a difference. So that's that's the thing I loved about her. And the reason, like you said, Drew, that they're they're paired as leaders in this movie is because it's, both of those things are required. The relentless pragmatism, the compassion and the just incredible persistence of hope. Yeah, it's those two working together that create most of the concentric circles that radiate out the solution for humanity. And they're working together in a way only Nolan can do across time and space. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, you can tell we love that one, but you can tell that was only number two. So what could possibly be better than Cooper and Murph in Interstellar, the number one magnanimous leader in Wonder Tour's extremely rigorous analysis of adventure movie canon is Drew. Why don't you tell us? think most people are going to expect this one by this point but it's Gandalf I mean when you think about the greatest leaders that you know of in any story you know some of the greatest stories that come up is of course Lord of the Rings and it's like well who's the greatest leader Gandalf and why is Gandalf such a great leader not because he's the hero of the story but because he knows how to empower his team he knows how to develop people he knows how to do the right things and not do the wrong things he does not step on people's toes, but he gives them the ability to become the best version of themselves. He is the ideal mentor. He is the big picture thinker who gets his hands dirty, who lets the team try and fail, but shows up when the challenge is too high. 
and he gets down to the ground level and, you know, sits on the sits on the table and has tea with the hobbits, right? Like he's really able to move between the worlds very easily. Something I just was thinking about as you guys were talking is that he is truly the master of the dangerous dojo, right? The thing that he does to the hobbits is essentially he does take a calculated risk. He subverts the narrative with the hobbits. He uses uh, a, a people that are, you know, for the job that are, you know, I need a burglar, you know, for example, <laughs> I need a burglar. He gives him like a like a trope or a role or whatever, and he turns him on to it and then he lets him figure it out. And I think that's that's like the next level above kind of what Morpheus Morpheus kind of does that, too, where he's like, well, I'm going to turn Neo loose in the Matrix. I know the prophecy, blah, blah, blah. So I do see some parallels with some of these leaders in the way that they let people have a really long leash. And we can all agree that Gandalf is like this. He's really good at saving you at the last minute. When you <laughs> think all hope is lost, he is he's there. He's always going to show up. And I think that's it's funny because that happens like a number of times in Lord of the Rings. It's not just like one time. It's not just like two. It's like three or four or five times. I don't know. Drew probably knows the exact count. He's like. 5.7 times there because that last one wasn't quite because <laughs> <laughs> he he knows the floating point representation of right <laughs> anyway oh uh, that's good <laughs> the one rising on the white horse i think yeah when uh, gandalf the white rides over the mountaintop uh when they're at helm's deep in the two towers with the riders of rohan yeah that's yes. that's probably one of my favorite moments of Gandalf and I think really encapsulates that side of him of the tide turner the rescuer the I'm gonna push you all the way to your limits until you think that you are totally gonna get overrun and then I'm going to do the one thing that deflects the thing that's attacking you essentially right he just he has this way of like he knows he can't do it alone but he also knows that he can do it in the clutch like in this you know what I'm saying that is is a true leader, a true magnanimous leader who's like, I, I, okay, yeah, I'm going to push him as far as I can push him. I'm going to develop him as far as I can develop him. And I'm going to do this in waves, right? Because that's to their speed. That's to, you know, meeting them where they are. But I'm not going to let up. I mean, he is, he's relentless too. I mean, he will not, you committed to this. You're the burglar. You're taking this all the way through, right? I know, what do you guys think about that as we're... Yeah, I mean, how much would you how much would you love to have a leader like Gandalf, right? Somebody who sees potential in you that you don't see in yourself, who puts you in opportunities to thrive, who puts you in the dojo when you need to be in the dojo, and who will put themselves at risk to bail you out when it's required, when the water's too deep. That would be amazing. How hard would it be to be that leader? You know, what what's the challenge like yourself to try to always be about the big picture and always care about the small details and the individual people and always be looking deeper into people than they're looking into themselves and always looking for opportunities to learn and always looking for opportunities to bail people out. Like what a, what a high bar that is. I think that's why we, why we keep coming back to him. Right. Yeah. He doesn't really have any flaws that we see across his story. Even in his weaknesses, he finds a way to use it for good. It's really incredible to see that. And as we're starting to wind to the end of this list here, I think it's important that we bring back what we talked about with Andy, with Shawshank, the realization that our opportunity is, of course, to be like Red in Shawshank, to pick up after these great leaders and learn from them and integrate traits that they have through our own lives, but to inspire hope to this community, to aspiring magnanimous leaders, 
I think we have to just call it out there that we can be like Gandalf. It's not like this aspirational thing. It's like there are people out in the world who literally operate like Gandalf. It's not such a thing that humans can't accomplish it. Now, does Gandalf have some flaws that are off camera? I'm sure, just like everybody. But the idea that this is just some lofty thing, we have to throw that out the window and say, if we really want to be magnanimous, that means being like somebody like Gandalf. These are all actions you can take. You can look for the best in people, whether they are Frodo or Saruman. You can choose to put yourself in front of the danger, even if you're not sure you're up to it. You can look for opportunities to put people in roles that they don't themselves think that they're qualified for. Those are all things that you can do as a leader. Those are all things that we could do. It's just, it's hard to operate at that level all the time, for sure. But that's, it's aspirational, but not unattainable. Yeah, so this has been a great discussion today, guys. Talking about, you know, these the top 10 Wonder Tour All-Stars. We've covered a lot of ground over 99 episodes. Although I could argue that we had 100 episodes because we cut this one back to the future. But in 100 episodes, there's a lot of ground to be covered. There's a lot of different tropes. And then there's plots and all these things to unwind and unpack and unravel and look inside, right? And find those nuggets really is, is, is the, the goal here, right? Or get to that vista and see that sunset or that sunrise or whatever it may be, that amazing thing that you see at the mountaintop. Mountaintop is an abstract concept. The mountaintop is literally scaling, in my opinion, the culmination of the salient points of a story that we care about that has wisdom in it, right? We scale up the mountaintop, we get to the apex, and really from there, we can see all the salient points from one point. It ties them all together, right? This is where Drew tends to use the metaphor of concentric circles, which I really appreciate. And these are things that, in my opinion, and I'm going to reinterpret this for you, Drew, that way it means more to you, maybe, because I'm mirroring it back. But these are things that aren't quite exactly the same in my opinion there's there's two things one of them is that they're not quite exactly the same but they overlap enough that they mean something and this also works in a plot too where you can't say well this is linked to this and this is linked to this because that's exposition and you know we we know we don't like that because we want meaning and deeper meaning right but this is what you're seeing from the mountaintop the mountaintop includes that that view of all of the different salient points and then once you get that and you're like, okay, so let's compact that down and let's find that smallest form factor or let's relate that to the other concepts that we have. I mean, it really is an archival process as much as it is exploration. As you explore, you find these things and then you archive it and put it into the right position in the library bookshelf or whatever. And then that becomes part of Wonder Tour. So that, that truly is, in my opinion, like that's what Wonder Tour is about. It's taking a multitude of tours and seeing how they overlap with each other. And truly, that's the journey we've been on through this 100 episodes to figure out what magnanimous leadership is. And we didn't start out with magnanimous leadership. Like I said in the last episode or one of the previous episodes was just like that we started out with the concept of strategy factory, right? It was just one aspect. And so we saw like a glimmer or a glint of what could be. And then when we pulled on it, we were like, whoa, there's something much bigger beneath the surface. That's what truly the Wonder Tour is about, is to find that edge of something, that corner, whatever it may be, your unwrapping presence at Christmas, whatever experience you've had where you start to understand that there's an inkling of something below, something you can't see through, that's Wonder Tour. That's truly what Wonder Tour is to me. So thank you, guys. I look forward to the future of Wonder Tour and where it goes next. 
Well, you can't say much after that, honestly. Derek just took us to the mountaintop of the mountaintop right there. Just being able to connect that together and saying that the concentric circles all meet on the mountaintop, basically. And that's why the mountaintop is a part of the formula, because we scale the mountain up and down each week so that we can see where the circles are kind of pointing to. And then from there, create a mental scaffolding that can be integrated into our understanding of the world, our understanding of ourselves. And with that, we can truly become better leaders for the good of others. Because this is our dojo. This is our way of picturing ourselves as those iconic leaders. This is our way of recognizing those moments that are leadership opportunities, using analogies to frame them, and then having the vocabulary and the skill set to capitalize on. That's the whole point here. Okay, that was amazing. I'm pumped. I'm going to go change the world now. (laughs) So thanks, everyone, for joining us for Wonder Tour episode 100. Thank you so much, Derek, for coming in as our special guest. It was great to have you back, as always. Insights that we couldn't get from anywhere else. All right, now that we've finished our first 100 episodes, not our only 100 episodes, we're going to take a short recording break, and we'll be back, and we'll have some very exciting new developments on the approach to Wonder Tour. So in the meantime, thanks, everyone, for joining us. And as always, just remember, character is destiny. Destiny.